What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Marsha Bench. And let me tell you, she is a busy lady. She's written 27 books, and that's just the start of her incredible, incredible career. Marsha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Appreciate being here. Marsha, you've not always been a confident speaker, but you find yourself owning the microphone as a professional speaker. Help me understand the two. Yes. Well, I know that uh, when I went through my first speakers convention, they asked how many were extroverts. And I was one of the ones that didn't raise my hand uh, because I was very shy as a child. And um, so when I began doing presentations, it was, I was, uh, you know, out of college and just uh, really had some, some things that, uh, that were kind of a divine download that I knew I wanted to share with audiences. And so I started speaking at a local community college. And I know those first few speeches were very much, uh, like I was delivering a legal argument in court. I was also a lawyer at the time uh, and, uh, you know, very dry. <laughs> the poor audiences, I feel sorry for them now. But um, I knew that I had a passionate message at that time. It was really about helping to live your purpose through your work. Um, and I now help entrepreneurs live their purpose through their business and really thrive doing that. Um, so I, uh, sold everything and took my first book on the road when nine to five isn't enough and did 65 seminars in 10 months. Uh, and you can imagine that the first one was quite different than the last one. I got better as I went along. It was my own kind of in the trenches, Toastmasters, if you will. Uh, and so, uh, I learned a lot from other speakers. I've been involved with speakers associations for years and, and, uh, have had the, the privilege of meeting, able to meet a lot of, uh, well-known speakers along the way, but, uh, you know, it just was really getting and taking a, the opportunity to learn to make the emotional connection, learn not to try to stuff every minute full of 15 bullet points, you know, let alone every slide full of 15 bullet points <laughs> and um, those sorts of things that it really was about the connection with the audience. And, and so now whether I'm teaching on Zoom or whether I'm sharing something live, that's always what I'm looking to do. I have so many questions from you just from that one answer. I jotted down <laughs> divine download, shy as a child, live their purpose, learn so much from speakers. I don't know where to go. I think because I love alliteration, I'm going with divine download. Talk to us about how you discovered that. Well, you know, it was is whenever we're at a point in our lives, and I know a lot of people are there right now with the, the great resignation and, and rethinking our values and things post-COVID, that um, you're looking for an answer. You're looking for a, a way of approaching your life that's different than you've approached it before. And I, I was at one of those crossroads and it was, uh, you know, I went to sleep and I literally was like, ding, woke up in the middle of the night and it's like, okay better take some dictation because <laughs> here's the idea you're going to teach this class and do this book and teach it here and so I was like okay good sounds good to me 
And all of that came into being. And then um, as I was working with my very first mentor, uh, she happened to notice something in one of Louise Hay's books that uh, she had been, um, was publishing another author. And so she said, hey, you know, why don't you approach them and see if, uh, if they're open to your book on working, you know, doing what you love for a living. I did, and they did, and so Hay House, I was one of the very first authors that Hay House published, besides Louise Hay herself. Uh, so it, it's just those kinds of being, being um, in joyful expectation, being, in, you know, having your, your radar, so to speak, tuned to the opportunities that are coming to you that are in alignment with your goals, and uh, that means you have to know what those goals are and what that vision is to start with, right? And then you're, you're, you're looking for surprising or ordinary ways that it can come about. And I've had that happen so many different ways in my life. So um, that's the perspective that I come at it with. What was the best lesson that you learned from the speakers with whom you've spent time? Well, I don't know if I can reduce it to just one. Um, I know. Well, however many you want, but it's only a 30 minute show. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I guess um, other than the emotional connection and storytelling and all of that, which we, we know is important, <clears throat> I think just the, the idea of repurposing what we do, and um, which is how my 27 books and the two I'm going to release next year came about, is just literally, uh, you know, sharing that information, teaching it, or, you know, doing a keynote if you're a keynote speaker, or doing a training if you're a trainer, and then um, turning that into a written format that becomes an introduction to your work and turning that into chunks of content for posts and your podcast and other different, you know, not, not trying, it seems overwhelming to so many people that I'm supposed to do all these things, you know, I'm supposed to do podcasting and emailing and social media and speaking and, and, you know, launches and all the stuff. Uh, But if you really look at it as um, that, you can take one piece of content or one story or one concept or one, you know, an article or whatever, and then um, do multiple things with it. And um, that people aren't going to get it the first time anyway, they're going to need to hear it multiple times, and they may want to consume it in multiple formats, that uh, that all of a sudden, it's much more doable. So I've learned that along the way. Yes, yes. That's one of the most important lessons, because people feel like they have to be everywhere all the time for everyone but the thing is you can have one piece of content that is going to appeal to a visual learner that when presented in a written format but it's also going to appeal to an auditory learner or someone who likes to take in content auditorily if presented via a youtube video or via a podcast we could go on down the line so and you'll have some people where they exclusively are on LinkedIn and nowhere else. So take that same content and post it as a LinkedIn article, right? Right. Take that same content and post it as, or submit it to another outlet and on down the line. But don't get nervous about feeling like you always have to create something new. Right. Stick to your lane, if you will. Stick to (laughs) what you know and what you love. And then look for ways to tie that to current events. I mean, we've had this, you know, whether it's a trial that's on the news, whether it's a, uh, you know, the pandemic outbreak, whether it's the great resignation, whatever it might be, you know, there are things going on that can make that relevant again 
but you've got to be paying attention. <clears throat> have to be paying attention. When you think about the attention that you've paid to your presentations over the years, what is the biggest transformation that's happened from presentation number one to your most recent one? I would say that it's mostly just um, thinking with the end in mind, always do that. And um, what does the listener um, want to know, need to know, what do I really want to, to shift in them as a result of this? And then, you know, planning accordingly uh, with illustrations and with personal examples and client examples and whatever it might be. Uh, but um you know, not just sharing content for the sake of content. If you're in, if you've got your, uh, a sense of how people are reacting and their ways of even doing that with a Zoom presentation, I mean, you know, on my weekly shows, I'm always making it interactive and drawing uh, people into the conversation. Um, that way, and I do have still the um habit, sorry, <laughs> but you know, for the speakers that are catching that, <clears throat> it's, uh, it's just important to have your, have a sense of how people are reacting to what you're saying. Uh, and, you know, is it landing, you know, is, is it helping uh, them to see their, see some new options? Often that's what I'm looking to do is just, you know, what are some new possibilities? It may not be a choice between A and B, it might be C, which is a combination of both of those. And uh, so, so many times because we're trained to think in terms of one or the other, instead of the abundance mentality of which do I want first, you know, and then the other one can come later or whatever. Uh, it really uh, opens up some choices that we may not have known that we've had. So. Absolutely. No doubt. Everybody, Marsha Bench is a leading entrepreneur, as you have heard, and thought leader, growth strategist, strategist for coaches, speakers, authors, and experts. A 27-time author, she invented the industry of career coaching, built her coach training school to span 50 countries. That's 5 zero. In that specialty, she sold it in 2020 and started her next venture. Marsha launched her initial business part-time while working as an attorney and soon sold her practice and home, like she said, to embark on this 10-month national tour with her first book, which was published by Hay House. She's currently the CEO of Transformational Thought Leaders International. When you think about that 10-month whoa, experience, and I feel like experience is an understatement, what was the scariest part and what was the most exciting part? Well, anything like that, of course, is going to present lessons, life lessons, and so uh, learning a little bit about fee setting in the beginning, since I was speaking to nonprofit organizations and um, having a minimum fee, uh, so that we didn't end up with, uh, you know, leaving with, uh, with less than we should. And um, just, uh, <laughs> we were traveling in an RV. And so I didn't, didn't know about these low clearance bridges in, in uh, New York, in that area. And that was, we weren't sure we were going to make it through one of them. <laughs> and this was at night, 55 miles an hour, you're not going to like pull over to the side. So that was a little scary. Uh, but, um, you know, the most exciting, I guess, was really coming, uh, making the full circle back to uh, Portland and then um, finding out that um, the, the media interview I had done a while ago, 
uh, was now on the front page of the paper and I was on television the next day and it was, uh, you know, kind of a welcome home, you're famous sort of moment. So that was a lot of fun for sure. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now I have to go back to that first point you made about setting a fee minimum. That can be one of the most complicated parts, I think, about speaking mm-hmm. possibly. And that's a question that I'm that I receive so often. How much should I charge? How much should I charge? Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations for people where maybe they're not professional speakers, but they are experts in their industries and they are sometimes called upon to give some sort of a speaking uh, engagement or be a part of a speaking engagement. Do you have any recommendations for them in terms of how do they set a fee? Well, it really requires a little more context, um, Bridget, because of the fact that, you know, there's a formula for setting your fees as a consultant, as a coach, you know, and um, if speaking is going to be a major part of your business, then you want to use that formula to make sure that all the bases are covered. If it's just a one-time or, you know, occasional thing, then um, I would weigh whether you want to actually collect a fee or not because you'll have more restrictions on how much you can follow up with that group if you are being paid a fee to speak. Uh, So just, you know, weighing who's going to be there, what's the size of the audience, what's the potential for follow-up business from that. If it's an organization, you're speaking to a team, then you're probably doing a flat fee. But if it's a professional group, uh, it's a mixed variety of organizations. If it were me, I'd rather have the email list and the phone number list of who's in the audience or do a drawing to get that information to follow up with them later than have a, you know, three or $5,000 fee just for that day. So I, you know, there's a, there's a lot of variables that go into that, but, um, but there, there's a, there is a lot of money that can be made from speaking for free. <laughs> Absolutely. And we, we should put for free in parentheses, right. you really have to think about what is valuable to your business, what's valuable to your speaking career. And so there may be people in the room where you can have a conversation with them and it leads to other opportunities. You may be able to sell your books. You may be able to get, like you said, the email list. You may be able to provide some kind of follow-up. You, it, 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 the list goes on and on. It, and, and also think about this. Is it a destination where you right. really want to go, right? right. I mean, if it's True. some fabulous vacation spot and your family can go along, mm-hmm. Just think about what is valuable to you and what's valuable to your business. Is it getting your name out there? Will they be able to provide video of you speaking? A video of you speaking is, oh my goodness, that's what gets people sold on you. You can have text on your website all Mm -hmm. day long about how great you are. But when you have video that shows it, are you able to get video testimonials from people in the audience? Mm -hmm. So think about all the things that are of value to you. And if you're growing a speaking business, or let's say you're not growing a speaking business, but hey, it's just nice to have on your resume, right? Right. <laughs> Everything right. that really could be a benefit to you. And it's oftentimes more than a check. So uh, thanks you for you good points. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, having that conversation with me. I could go on and on because I do those evaluations when I'm presented with an opportunity. There's just like you said, a whole host of factors that you have to run through your head and really make sure that it's a win-win for you and the organization. Mm -hmm. Now, in a little bit, Marsha, you will have the opportunity to ask me a question. I cannot wait to see what it is. 
until then, we're going to keep moving along. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you see speakers make and how do you avoid it? Mm. Question. <laughs> I first go to setup and just, you know, almost every time it seems like we arrive, you know, to do the setup and things have to be moved around, but that's not the speaker's fault necessarily, unless they don't take the initiative to make that change. Right. Uh, that's so that it really will be a conducive space for the audience. Um, other than that, I think just uh, not really thinking about your energy before you step onto the platform, whatever that form that might take, because what's contagious to your audience is your energy. It's whether they get that initial sense of she's really confident, she's really uh, feeling good about herself, because it is partly about self-esteem for sure. And um, they'll, I'm going to listen because I like her energy. I like being around her. And uh, uh, with um, both of the mentors I'm working with now, I feel that way about them. It's like I could listen to them all day long. They're just like, they're, there's just their, their presence. And the fact that they're fairly, you know, perceptive on top of that is, um, is really important. So you could have two different people do the same talk. And one of them be kind of monotone and no body language and no interaction with the audience. And the other one do all the right things and um, two different experiences, two different impressions, so to speak. So really paying attention to uh, to your energy going on stage and being in the in the modality of serving the audience that immediately gets you out of your fear. If you're thinking about them and how can I serve them? You know, how can I really um, be of, of maximum value? And um, Wayne Dyer talked about doing that every time before he spoke, you know, doing, doing a meditation and really, you know, what is it that I need to share with this audience? Uh, so the message might change at the last minute. That's okay. You know, you've seen people throw their notes off the, off the podium, right? <laughs> Some of these people that, you know, it's like, I had all this planned, but I think that what we need to do is this instead. And so, yeah, it, uh, uh, it's, it's really so much more than the information. And uh, even though that you got to have something to say, but it, it, you know how you say it, and whether it really reaches the audience is uh, you know in a, both a mental and an emotional level is is the the real determining factor in my opinion. What's your favorite topic for emotionally reaching your audiences? What do you just? Oh my goodness! If I gave you the microphone right now and said, "Hey, Marsha, you've got sixty minutes and ten thousand people," what are you mm-hmm. going to give us? I would be talking about manifesting. Everything, mm. yeah, yeah, just all of the different principles of manifesting and some of the stories I've had about um, about manifesting uh, dreams and um, you know the fact that that people just most of the time don't dream big enough. Mm. They, they let the the apparent limits stop them from really stepping into what's what could be possible for them if they'd allow it. Oh, okay. I, tell me why people don't like, I don't know, just get past all of the stuff and dream bigger. I know you're like, Bridget, this is not a therapy session. I'm going to have to invoice you for this, but what puts the brakes on us dreaming bigger? I think it's our societal programming in a large measure and, you know, yeah. the, you know, conformity, staying in the safe zone. I mean, what, nine, over 90%, somewhere between 90 and 95% of people 
will never really change their lives significantly. They will they will earn at a certain level and they'll stay, you know, maybe in the same location. Uh, they really won't achieve the kind of excellence that I think most speakers and experts and coaches are looking for uh, or achieving and living in their own lives. And so well, that means we've got to do the opposite of what's what's socially acceptable sometimes. And that takes courage, you know, take courage. <laughs> Do the opposite. Takes courage. Okay. I'm turning the, the microphone around. It's time for you to ask me a question. Marsha, lay it on me. <laughs> oh, what's been your favorite uh, engagement so far and why? Oh, 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 oh. My favorite. Oh, gosh. I love just about all of them. But my favorite, <laughs> my favorite was probably one of the first ones post-pandemic right? Because I'm in person. This was one that took place in Washington, D.C. So D.C. is just a great city anyway. So that's already a great foundation. But we had a packed room, Marsha. I'm telling you, the fire Marsha was on the verge of coming. And I'm not exaggerating because the room only held, I don't know, however many hundreds of people. And we had reached that capacity. People were standing along the walls. People were poking their heads in through the door. (laughs) And it wasn't just because I had a full room. I mean, that was electric because When was the last time I'd experienced that? But it was because everybody was on fire. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just kind of half of the room was, you know, there and the other half was men, you know, everybody was ready. They were on the edges of their seats. They were participating. They were smiling. They were leaning in. They were taking notes. They were asking questions. It was as if, you know, I don't know, like it was, uh, magical dust or something had been sprinkled on them or again I've been you know locked up on zoom for the last 18 right. 20 months with everybody else and so I had forgotten what the, what it was like so that was the most enjoyable I mean all of them are incredible but that one just set me on fire sounds great yeah <laughs> oh my goodness all right Marsha uh I am going to wrap things up here shortly so I want you to think about one last important fact or tip or strategy you would give our listeners for how to own the microphone. I'm going to ask you that in a little bit. Everybody, I want you to learn more about Marsha, what she does. Uh, I know you've learned a thing or two or five from her today. I want you to visit her website and get her gift. She has a giveaway for you. So visit transformationalthoughtleaders.biz forward slash gift and go get a nice little, hmm, something that's really going to up your game. It's going to up level you. So visit her website, transformationalthoughtleaders.biz forward slash gift to get a nice giveaway that Marsha has been so gracious to provide listeners. Now, Marsha, one parting thought to make sure that people know how to just be blazing hot on the microphone. (laughs) I think the main thing is to be willing to share your own story, your own experience, because we each have those moments in life that are pivotal for us. And um, many times that's the thing that we most want to help others with. So being willing to be vulnerable and share your own foibles, your, not just the, uh, the glitzy stuff, but the, 
uh, as much of the underbelly as, as you feel like would benefit the audience and would help them really relate to you and see that you've been where they are. Because uh, once you do that, I worked with a client once, it took her almost a year to get to where she was willing to tell her story, but it was so compelling and I knew it would be once she finally did. And um, so that is where, you know, why else did you have that experience so that you can help other people in my, you know, in the work that we do, that's how we view it. So it's, uh, it's all part of your message. It's a key part of your message and don't, uh, don't hide it and try to just, uh, you know, what, do what I used to do, which is to hide behind the information, you know, we'll really, really create that connection. Mm. Yeah. And it, it, information is safe, right? It's black yes. and white data stats research that's easy we don't have to get personal we don't have to right. talk about the slip-ups and the mistakes but my goodness it's those slip-ups and those mistakes and the experiences that may not be so pretty and glitzy and glamorous that create that human connection for your audiences and I am telling the listeners this as much as I'm telling myself this because I'm one of those people where I can make some of the most mundane topics sound like the hottest thing on the planet however I have had those times once in a while where I've shared a personal experience that directly supported or connected to the mundane the black and white research and the audience was just right there in the Mm -hmm. palm of my hand wanting more yes yes very good well Marsha it's been an absolute delight to have you on the show thank you so much for joining us thank you for inviting me everybody thank you for tuning in to today's episode until next time make sure you always own the microphone